Thank you for this morning, for your presence here, and Lord, that you've drawn each of us here for your purpose, for your plan, your, your way. So Lord, we uh, open our hearts to you and what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I, I want to kind of pull together um, some of the pieces that we've been working on kind of looking at the reality of the church and the reality of the individual. Uh, We're going to take about one minute and cover a little background um, because it it sets the stage for where we're going to go today. But the condition of man, the scripture shows us, is that there's this sin, uh, and this sin treats us almost like a puppet. And we have some maneuvering, but at the end of the day, it will control us, and it will be our end And when Jesus came, and when we enter into life with Jesus, he breaks the power of those bonds. He breaks the power of that control over us. But as we looked at last week in kind of a a physical demonstration, that challenge is not over for us. Uh, Because as these controls are broken off of us, what we find is that originally our, our struggle with sin is that we want to control us. We want to be God in our life. And so you have Jesus that's reaching in to help. I'm, you know, working in my own control. I'm still struggling to to really let Jesus show me how to live my life. I'm struggling to accept the reality that that I am living under enough deception, under enough uh, power of sin, that I really struggle to do even the things I want to do. And I'm not even sure who I completely am. And so it's in that as Jesus tries to help me, I resist him. Okay, and in that, Satan is still uh, laying this plot to reconnect that sin, to re um, uh, connect in a way that disintegrates my hope and my, and my hope for the future. And so all that fight is still going on. So this idea that salvation just means everything goes great is not really a true statement. And it's in that moment that we see um, that concept that Jesus teaches us about the seen and the unseen. Those perspectives, again, real quickly, our strength and our protection have to come from God. They are not ours anymore to do. You'll see more of that in a moment. The enemy is not your neighbor, not mankind, uh, not a different religion. It's not somebody who's mean to you. And, And the reality is that it's the authorities and the powers of darkness and principalities in the unseen who are actually your enemy and the ones that you're actually fighting against. That's the perspective of the unseen, the perspective of the seen, is that scripture tells us it mu- we must take on a new way of seeing struggle and our troubles and our problems. We've got to have a different way because it's not what we're seeing. It's what we're not seeing that's the real root of our struggles. Our focus has to be retrained to always understand that that unseen is at work in our life. It's always at work on the good and on the bad. And then we have to really change our value system. As long as you have a value higher on everything you can see than the value of things you cannot see, you will not succeed against sin. You get that? As long as your value system sets what you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch, sets that higher than the unseen, you will not succeed against sin. Then the scripture reveals that the purpose of the church, the purpose of you and I, is that we would be a demonstration of God's glory in the unseen to the powers and the principalities of this world. And it's in that place that we see our difference matters. It makes a difference. It's where injustice can really be made right. It's in the unseen. That's the place that things can really be made right. And then we looked at this reality that, that the gifts and the things that God gives us to make this a reality, to make it where we are actually able to operate in that unseen, 
He comes with these supernatural gifts, and he gives them to everybody who follows him. And so these gifts, and they're not all the same gifts, but these gifts come to us. And this person has one set of gifts. This person has another gift. This person, another gift. But they're all equal in the, in the, from the standpoint that we didn't earn any of them. We didn't earn them. We, we weren't given one because we were special or because we were better than another person. God just gives as he gives. One is not better than the other as far as the person goes. And so we see that we have these gifts, but we understand from the scripture, these gifts are about helping people. It's about restoring and healing. It's about building up the community of Christ in a way that it becomes a greater voice and a greater blessing to the world. Everyone is equipped for this good work. So we ended that with, not everybody is a gifted preacher, but everyone has a message. Everyone has the message of Jesus. Not everyone is a gifted teacher, but we have encounters with teaching moments. Not everyone is the gift of, of hospitality, but we can all be hospitable when the time calls for it. And it leads us to this understanding of gifting versus opportunity. And we talked about that last week. And then ultimately, that we need to desire gifts. We need to desire the supernatural. We need to get more comfortable embracing and reaching into the supernatural. It comes with not only gifts that might be resonant with us, but it comes with opportunities that you're involved in. We heard a story, and uh, uh, a lady was sharing with us in Ohio and there's, uh, I'm, I'm going to abbreviate it and probably get it a little bit wrong, but here's the bottom line. There's a girl on a bus, I think it was on a bus or a train, and there was a lady with a, a child, had a cleft lip, and was in a lot of struggles, this baby was. And the girl thought she should pray for this baby, but she didn't have the gift of healing, and she hated it, and she was nervous, and she was shy, and she was having this fight go on inside her. She didn't want to talk, and she didn't want to this. She didn't want to that, and, and God had never used her to heal anybody, but she went ahead, and she crossed the line, and she prayed for this baby, and this baby was instantly healed. Instantly, they were transformed, and, uh, you know, the mother started crying. The girl started screaming. Then the mother started screaming, and the girl started crying. They're screaming and crying, uh, everybody is just as shocked. But you see, there was an opportunity. And someone took the risk. Someone who knew enough to know Jesus cares. They took the risk, the great risk. They took the risk knowing they were inadequate. But they took that risk. What the girl didn't know is the baby had lots of other physical problems not only was the cleft lip healed, but all of the things in this baby were healed. We are gifted with opportunity, and we walk with the full power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And when that opportunity comes, we can go for it with confidence. I'm not saying something will happen this way or this way. I'm saying that we have the opportunity. And we should never let go of an opportunity. With that, Paul shares with us, after talking about the importance of the gifts and the sharing of the gifts and the pursuit of the gifts and how the gifts are a part of our signature in reaching the world. It's a way we have of blessing and touching the world. Then he says, now that I've said that, now that I've convinced you of that, now I'm going to tell you a better way. And that's when he shares with us in 1 Corinthians 13 that the reality is none of that matters if we don't love. None of that is going to matter if we don't allow Jesus to really make love the most powerful thing, that part that can forgive anything, that part that doesn't count wrongs, that part that's not rude, that part that's patient and kind, that real God love. Now, <clears throat> what this sets up, folks, is really... I want you to see your neediness. 
I want you to all of a sudden see this saved person who is equipped for every good work. That's what the scripture says. Now, I hope you're beginning to see God says, if you go out and, and look into the opportunities of your life, I will give you opportunities to take great risk to reveal me in great ways that I will be glorified and that all of the unseen heavenlies will be affected. And I hope you understand all of, already you're above your pay grade. You are operating at a level that's way beyond what you can do or should feel comfortable with. Now we're going to add one more piece to it. I want you to genuinely love those people no matter how ugly, how difficult, how unreasonable, how mean, how, how gross or evil they are. I want you to love them deeply. That's the one-two punch. That's going to be the convincing picture that I am real and I am alive is that if you go do these things. Now, what that also does is forever ties us together because you won't pull that off on your own. There is no gifting you have that's going to allow you to play that role. No matter how compassionate you are, how loving you are, there will be an end of a road for you that there are people you won't be able to love on your own. Do you see what God has done? He has tied us to him. We are forever connected with him. What does that mean? That means that we allow him to connect the strings so that we can do the dance. You know, it, it, I, uh, <clears throat> I think it's always cool. It's probably because I'm a guy. But, but girls may have the same view. Um, it's out of a movie. Uh, the guy asked this girl to dance. She said, I can't dance. I don't know how to dance. He said, just stand on my feet. Isn't that great? I mean, if it really worked, isn't that great? Now, if she's six, that might work for me. But if it's Melinda... We could look a little awkward, you know, trying to make that work. Let's jump at the same time, dear. Oh, this is good. So that won't be helpful for us. But for God, what he's saying is, stand on my feet. And you'll be able to do the dance. That's the landscape for the church to make a difference in the world. Can it love and can it act out of that love? And so see whether the action is coming first and the love is following or the love is coming and, and it's producing the action. You see, they work together in harmony to reveal there is truly a loving, living God. And you see, when the people of God begin to operate that way, when you and I, when we take that persona on, we take that identity on, and we step into the world, we become a blessing everywhere we go. There is something positive everywhere we go because we go with the purpose and the intention of being just exactly that, a blessing from God. We are going looking into and ready to step into the opportunities. We are coming bringing every gift we know how to bring, and then those we don't know how to bring, we're going to ask God for them. And we're going to come in the power of love. Now, here's my conviction. My conviction is if we do this, we will have a, an, a tremendous effect on our world. It means we will have to walk close to God, and you will have to be overwhelmed most of the time in things that you're saying and doing. And I know that brings a gray for people that a lot of people don't like, but it is the world we live in. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples of how this might look. I'm gonna give you one on a very practical level. Our air conditioning uh, really needs to be replaced. Uh, we are running at about, you know, between a half and two thirds of our capability. And as you know, we're hitting triple digits. And we have solid concrete walls, which makes us a little bit like a true oven. 
So if you were to come in here after yesterday and turn on the air conditioning this morning at 7 when it's 94, 95 in here, it would still be about 90 right now for you. Do you know why it's not 90? It's not because I came last night, but somebody did. In fact, somebody comes every Saturday night. It's like a Keebler elf or something. And they sneak into the building and they turn on the air conditioning. So you and I won't be doing this. And not only that, if you were to come in at 7 in the morning when I do, or 7.30, you would see that all the coffee stuff is set up. And all the coffee pots are ready to go. It's those elves again. Now, what's interesting is, do you know that is not an assigned job? We don't have that on any job description in our church. Somebody's just doing that. They're seeing a need, a practical need, and they're stepping into it. It's an act of love. It's an act of kindness. There's no credit maybe on a level that this person gets directly, but I'll bet you Jesus is pleased. I'll bet you Jesus likes it. I mean, when everybody else is starting to settle down or you're out at the movies, here's the elf coming in, taking care of preparation. You see, that's, that's what makes the body of Christ work well. When people see a need and they step into it. When people operate in their church by seeing a need and stepping into it. It's a way that somebody operates in the sacrificial part of what God gives. Now, I do know who this elf is, but that's my issue. Let me show you one that's a little different. Uh, this is a story. I'm going to let um, this person tell their own story. Um, but I think you'll like this story. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I guess I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, <clears throat> anyone that knows me knows that, like, my heart is totally in the Middle East, and there's a lot of, you know, telling, saying, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemy. That's a big thing. So I kind of had that applied in my own life in a different way. Um, in January, my neighbor poisoned our tiny little really sweet family dog so me and my son came home to my dog having a seizure and basically dying and it was a really horrible horrible situation so of course we're mad angry upset um and at the time I want like I want to go over there and punch her that's what I want to do but I did nothing I was like I'm not going to talk to her I'm not going to look at her I'm not going to make I'm just going to not do anything because I won't do anything positive if I do so fast forward like four months and I'm like, Jesus clearly told me, like, Sherry, you're saying love your enemy to people, but what does that mean to you? Like, you need to love your enemy. Who is your personal enemy? And I was like, oh, crap. So I knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, the person, the only person in my life that I have great conflict with was her because, like, that, it was a bad situation. Like, she did something so hurtful to our family for no, no valid reason. Um, so I, we went to the store, me and my daughter and my son, and we bought her like some really nice like pot of flowers and wrote her like a nice note and then left it on her doorway and ran away. <laughs> like, I wasn't at the point where I could talk to her. Like it's, I'm just, yeah, so I just, that was, I don't know what that looked like for me. <laughs> could you see Jesus do that? Yeah, I could see Jesus do that. Hit the doorbell, run. We left a note. <laughs> and with a note. A nice note. <laughs> and a nice An note, even. Nice <laughs> Not passive aggressive, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoy the plant, jerk. You know. 
Now, I tell you, I tell you, this story amazes me because that is letting someone go free. And that's what Jesus did. He let the guilty go free. That's a divine act to let the guilty go free. Thank you. There's a little indoor weenie dog. It's heartbreaking. But loving your enemy is divine. It's the stuff the gospel is made of. And to bless those who persecute you. To bless those who persecute you. That is what Jesus does. This will change the world. This has the power. I want you to hear this. This has the power to right a wrong. Keying their car won't right the wrong. Killing their dog won't right the wrong. But loving someone and setting them free will right the wrong. Now, you have to believe in the unseen and the seen powers. You have to believe in something deeper than just what you see for that to be true. But I asked her before I had her share this, I said, so are you glad you did it? Yes. Do you feel good about it right here? Yes. She, she is glad. She feels, and, and, and there was something right or building, building up that happened for her. I also want to point out something else. What does this model for her children? You know how hard it is to model this? how hard it is to tell your child who also wants justice, who also is brokenhearted, say, I have another idea. We'll take them flowers. Write a nice note. And your child might go, that's not what I had in mind. But see, mom takes her, I'm just talking about in a sense of modeling, to 1 Corinthians 13 and shows her children a better way. That that can change the world. Hurting their dog will never change the world. It will never change the world. It is what's wrong with the world. We keep hurting one another's dog. We keep justifying that because of our own pain. And Jesus says, bring me your pain and take on my heart. It happens in the unseen. Because see, the payback for her and her family is not in the scene, is it? The, the, the pet doesn't come back to life, and, and you don't see this tangible justice. But Jesus says, trust me, what happens in the unseen in that moment is more powerful than anything you could imagine. We release the power of Jesus in the unseen, in the lives of human beings. That's a powerful thing to do. All it takes is some dying on our part some surrender on our part. You see, when Jesus is wanting to bring our hands like this instead of like this, and we allow him to do that, took four months. I don't know. I think that's a pretty good time frame. Some of us couldn't pull that off in 40 years. But Jesus would say, If you allow me, we can change the world by loving enemies.
<clears throat> I have a graphic, the seen and the unseen. The scene is always, and you probably can't see this on the right, on your left. Right versus wrong. That's the scene. Right versus wrong. Carries a lot of power. Under that is also action and behavior. It's all about doing. It's all about, it's all about function. That's the scene. The unseen is also about actions, but it's about the attitudes, and it's about the heart, and it's about the motives. You see, when we embrace Jesus' life, we embrace his attitudes, his heart, and his motives, and his actions can flow from that. That's the difference. You see, the scene is black and white, but the unseen makes it not so. We must trust that Jesus is capable in the unseen, and he is working on our behalf in the unseen. I have a story out of 2 Kings chapter 6. This story is about King Aram and the prophet Elisha. And uh, we're going to just look into the world that they were operating in. And uh, I'm going to stop you at, at, a, at a point just to make an illustration, but go ahead. Okay. One time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place, I want an ambush set. The holy man sent a message to the king of Israel. Watch out when you're passing this place, because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place of which the holy man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. The king of Aram was furious over all this. He called his officers together and said, Tell me, who is leaking information to the king of Israel? Who is the spy in our ranks? But one of the men said, No, my master, dear king, it's not any of us. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you whisper in your bedroom. The king said, Go and find out where he is. I'll send someone and capture him. All right. Now, this reminds me a little bit of the donkey story we had a couple of weeks ago, where Balaam... Um, is striking his donkey because the donkey keeps stopping because there's an angel in the way Balaam cannot see. And the donkey finally speaks to him and says, why are you hitting me? And Balaam answers him, I would have killed you if I'd have had my sword. And we have to wonder what is going through his mind that he is talking with his donkey. I mean, if my donkey responded to me, when I hit my donkey, said, why are you doing that? I would think, why are you talking to me? That would be my question. I would be a little freaked out. Okay, we've crossed a line here that has become more important than why my donkey keeps doing what he's doing. All right, we have the same thing here. His men have said, King, you don't have a spy in our troops. It's Elisha the prophet. He tells them everything. He even tells them what you're whispering in your bedroom. Do you really think you're going to capture this guy? Oh, I'm going to send troops to capture him. You see how blind we can be in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. We all act like this. We all talk to our donkey all the time. We are in a position where we should surrender to God, but instead of doing that, we argue with the donkey. And this is the case for the king of Aram. He is arguing with the donkey. He's saying, 
if this guy is really hearing everything I say, even in my bedroom, and telling the king of Israel, we're going to capture him. I'm going to order my men to go capture him, and I'll deal with that. So that's where the story is. The king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send someone and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he dispatched horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force. They came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning, a servant of the holy man got up and went out. Surprise, horses and chariots surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed, oh, master, what shall we do? He said, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. Then Elisha prayed, oh, God, open his eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were open, and he saw a wonder, the whole mountainside full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. Thank you. The key phrase there, don't worry about it. There's more on our side than there is on their side. That's repeated again in 1 John the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. Greater is the power in you than the power of this world. Don't worry about it. There are more guys on our side than their side. Don't worry about it. You see, the unseen is very much in play. We discount it. We discount the fight in the unseen, and for that reason, we are beaten. We discount the strength in the unseen, and we are beaten. And we're not even sure why we're beaten or how we're beaten, but we always wound up on the bottom. So we have the unseen where Elisha gets all the secrets from God and tells the king of Israel where all the ambushes are going to be. And we have the unseen of the troops, the chariots of fire that are protecting them. You see how much is going on in the unseen? That's true in your life. It's true in my life. The battle we have is not the one you're seeing. We step into the world of the seen and the unseen. We have gifting, we have opportunity, and we have the Holy Spirit. And we are capable of doing amazing God things. We have great opportunity. Now, I want to tell you about another opportunity, and that's the opportunity of sin. Because would you believe that we have opportunities to do amazing things for God and with God, but we also have amazing opportunities to sin? Do you believe that? For this person who blessed their neighbor, there was a great opportunity of sin, wasn't there? There was a great opportunity to sin. There was great temptation to sin. There's always great temptation to sin. We see that contrast in Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap. Whoever sows to gain in the flesh, whoever sows to gain, whoever plants, whoever invests to gain in the seen. That's what that's saying. If you invest to gain in the seen, then you will only get in the seen. And that will ultimately find destruction. Whoever sows, whoever invests to please the Spirit from the Spirit will gain eternal life. 
Let's not become weary of doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. You see the contrast of ability, and here's how it sets up that contrast. It sets it up this way. The contrast is the opportunities to reveal and reflect the nature, the purpose, and the love of God. And the contrast is to please yourself. Do you see that? It's not, the word sin doesn't really describe it. It's you can choose to please yourself or you can choose to walk with God in opportunity. That's how they're against one another. See, you don't have to, you don't have to commit to kill somebody or rob a bank or do something like that. All you have to do is commit to live for yourself and that will go against the opportunities of God. We see it again in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, like those who are, uh, who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants. Do you see that? Think. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants to do. Understand what the Lord wants to do. What are you doing, Father? You see, when we are pursuing our own thing, these wash out. Your identity washes out. Don't be drunk with wine because you will ruin your life. Instead, this is out of the message, by the way. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs among yourself, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks to everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. The doing and the being. You see, before we put seen and unseen, and now you can see it again. The rules and the spirit. You see, the scene is really about the rules. The scene is about the law. The scene is about making things right, right now. That means we have to take the life of somebody else's pet. That's what that means. That means we have to operate as judge and jury and executioner in this world, like many people are. That's the scene. That's the limit of scene. That's all it can do for you. The actions and the behavior will be judged back and forth, back and forth, and people will destroy people. That's the scene. The spirit, for the actions, the attitudes, the heart, and the motives reflect the heart of God. Where we are shown a more excellent way. Where we are challenged, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Be kind, be patient. Use the gifts and the power that I have given you, and even those I have not, to do something good for someone that you clearly don't think deserves it. Now we're talking. The rules follow the unseen. I mean the seen. The spirit, the unseen. When we focus on the scene, we trap ourselves in legalism. We trap ourselves in the rules. I, I really didn't do this on purpose. You're seeing a lot of this person today, but, you know, 
can't really go wrong with that. Uh, This is um, just to set this up a little bit. um, In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks a lot about the rules, and he starts off with this. So my friends, this is verse 5, verse 4 rather. So my friends, this is something that has taken place with you. When Christ died, he took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with him and left it in the tomb, leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear the offspring of the faith of God. That's out of the message. Doesn't that sound good? He took the rule system down with him and left it there, and he rose from the grave, extending to you and I the freedom to marry the resurrection life and bear the offspring of the faith of God. So he starts off there and talks about how the old code, it wasn't necessarily evil, but it did demonstrate that we weren't doing well when we had a a script to follow, rules to follow. So it had a value to show us, wow, we're not as good as we think we are. His conclusion might sound a lot like yours and mine because it was a struggle. All right. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Sometime, something has gone d- wrong deeply within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me, not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Thank you. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. The solution there is not more discipline. The solution is more love. I I think a lot of people are maxed out on discipline. But we're not maxed out on love. When... When we have these kind of changes that we're looking at, changes that we struggle with, our first struggle is we lose sight of the unseen. We lose sight of where the battle is. We make the battle really simple. Something made me mad. Something hurt my feelings. Something, someone took advantage of me. You see how it's been simplified there? It's simplified into the scene. When God says, you have to simplify into the unseen. When we, when we don't do that, then we allow our anger to be our response. We allow our hate to be our response. We allow our shutting down and shutting someone out to be our response. We use a sinful response, not a love response, because in that moment, what we needed was love. In that moment, 
in that moment, there was an opportunity. See, we often don't see that as an opportunity to show God's love. For you or I, instead of responding in anger, instead of lashing out, instead of looking for ways to punish someone, if in that moment we backed up to the unseen, we took that moment, we said, Jesus, what nearly needs to happen right now is I need your love. I need your love, Jesus. Right now, I need to know the deep love of Jesus. Right now, I am in a place where the scene has captured me. I need your love. Right now, all the powers and the principalities of the unseen are watching you and I. In that moment, we are under the microscope. We are under it. Why? Because there's the opportunity of the flesh. There's the opportunity of self-gratification, the opportunity of self-medicating, and there's the opportunity of love and revealing Jesus. Those are the opportunities. They are the same. And the powers and the principalities of the heavens are watching. This isn't, this isn't, this morning is not about a guilt trip or you or I. This is about a perspective to help us succeed. This is not about your guilt. This is, I don't, I don't want you to come away guilty. If you, if you do that and we leave it there, get prayer. If, we, if you leave it there, then we have failed. I would rather you come away loved. I'd rather you come away loved. I'd rather you come away set free and released. That's what I would love for you to experience this morning. There's no room here for guilt. If there's a conviction from the Spirit, then respond to that conviction by embracing and inviting His love. We lose perspective. I heard a sermon once years ago by somebody I really uh, respect and care about. It was a great message. They were talking about Thomas, the guy that's normally called Doubting Thomas. He said, Thomas was a good guy. He had a perspective problem. I thought, I've never heard him spin that way, you know? Thomas just had a perspective problem, but I believe he is right. You see, Thomas's perspective was on the scene. He lost his grip on the unseen, and he, he simplified it to the scene. When I see this, then I will believe. But what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who haven't seen and they believe. So the one who touches the holes and sees is not the one who is blessed. The one who is blessed is the one who believes and steps into the perspective of the unseen. Because where we lose that perspective, we lose everything. And you're backed up to just defending what you can do in this world. I have five points for us, really quickly. We could take responsibility for our own spiritual growth and maturity. And a big part of that will be learn how to focus on the unseen. Learn how to see beyond your needs, beyond your struggle, 
beyond your loneliness or your pain, beyond the injustice in your life, beyond your own mistakes. Learn to see beyond your regrets, the mistakes you've made. No longer be stopped by hopelessness. God invites you into his world. You see, we're always wanting God to come into the seen world, and God's always inviting us to the unseen world. If you would just step into our world, God, we would believe you. And he says, if you would just step into my world, you would believe me. Earnestly desire and practice the gifts. Don't be afraid to reach for one. If you're somewhere and you need the gift of miracles, I would reach for it. You may not be able to spell miracle, but if you need one, you reach for it. If you see someone that needs a miracle, you know where they come from. It's part of the unseen. We need to operate as a complete expression of God's love and purpose everywhere we go. You're lacking nothing. You might be shy. You might be quiet. You may not know the Bible at all. Do you know Jesus? Are you willing to call upon him? You know enough. You know a lot. Pursue becoming that perfect blend of God's love and power. Never leave one behind. If you would stand.